not winning is my primary motivating factor. I think if you go in and make a mistake, it will drive me to work even harder at home to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. And like we always think with the horses in their developmental process, if you make a mistake uh, in, in, in your progression of learning and getting better, make a mistake, that's no big deal at all. But if you make the same mistake twice, that would totally kill me. But if I'm making different mistakes, that is something that you can continue to learn and, and grow and, and be better from. So it's not, you know, it wouldn't be something you're going to pout that you lose. It'll just be once, in, you know, something that you're going to be up even early the next day, working even harder to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Julia Murphy, and this week's episode is with U.S. eventer Doug Payne. I'm excited to bring you this episode with Doug. I'm new to the world of eventing myself, as I grew up with a hunter-jumper background, so I learned a lot about Doug during our conversation for this podcast. I always knew Doug's name, I think it's hard not to with his long list of accomplishments, which we'll talk about in a moment, but it was great to sit down and get to know him personally. Doug shared with me his journey as a rider. Coming from a horse family, it was hard not to get into the sport. Once he was in it, like many of us, there was no getting out. At one point, Doug says the sport is, quote, a bit like a drug, unquote, which I think a lot of equestrians can relate to. He also talks about his mentors and the influential people and horses that have impacted his career, as well as how one of those mentors pushed him to get into show jumping, which is now 50% of his business. When I spoke with Doug, he was preparing for the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event, which he finished 12th in with Van Diver in the CCI five-star long. Doug will talk about Van Diver in a little while, but now that Kentucky is behind him, he's looking towards the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Three of his mounts are qualified, and he'll give us the inside scoop on all three of them. You'll also learn more about Doug's training philosophy for both his horses and his students, plus the nifty tool he believes everyone should have in their riding arena. And, as you heard in the intro, Doug speaks about how mistakes motivate him to work even harder. Before getting into the conversation, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this week's podcast, VitaFlex Pro, and share their message. Welcome to VitaFlex, where performance is everything. Over the last 25 plus years, VitaFlex has lived by their goal to provide innovative products specifically designed for the extreme requirements of high caliber equine athletes. Trainers, owners, and top riders demand the best, and that's why they rely on VitaFlex Pro products, because they deliver results. Every single product is backed by extensive research, testing, and is formulated to help you achieve the ultimate in performance. Visit VitaFlex.com today to browse their selection of equine health supplements, antioxidants, joint supplements, and more. That's V-I-T-A-F-L-E-X.com. VitaFlex Pro, the fine line between good and great. Now let's jump into the conversation with Doug. So how did you get interested in horses and riding? I guess I was just very, very lucky to grow up in a sort of horse family. Uh, my mom is judged now at... Um, two Olympics and the world games and every five-star in the world. So it was something that my sister and I basically just were exposed to early. Um, there was certainly no pressure to ride or, you know, did, they honestly didn't really 
care either way, you know, what we ended up doing. But uh, I think it's the natural thing that you're around them all the time that they're probably going to end up riding. What is it about horses and the sport that's kept you involved for so long? You know, it's funny. I grew up, um, you know, obviously rode the entire time, but went to school. I have a degree in mechanical engineering. I really thought I'd be doing something outside of horses and then maybe just riding recreationally. Um, very long story short, had an opportunity sort of out of college to um, to give it a shot and haven't really looked back since. I think what drives you is, in all honesty, is probably fear of failure. Um, we don't really have any sort of backstop in our deal growing up. Um, my sister and I both, is when we turned 18, uh, our parents would very generously pay for tuition, but anything outside of that was on us. So um, not much of a backstop makes you pretty motivated to make it happen. So I think that sort of gets the ball rolling and then you have some success and then it's a bit like a drug. I think you probably get addicted to that and, and that becomes a driving force that you, um, you just want to be there in the mix all the time. Who are your mentors? What kind of people have influenced your riding over the years? Yeah, so we were very lucky growing up, I think, from the age of, I don't know, 12 or 14. Uh, Jimmy Wofford was the coach for Area 2 Young Riders, and so he would have played a, a huge influence early on. And really, I've been in touch with him ever since. As I got going and um, was actively sort of pursuing the professional life, as you will, um, I did ride a whole lot with um, Anne Krasinski, and I would say she she would be the the second uh, second person or second stage there that played just a massive role um, in development and sort of opening eyes to all aspects. We, you know, although at this point our business is nearly 50-50 between eventing and jumping, um, I was not exposed to it more than what every other event person would have been growing up uh, the straight show jumping, and so she certainly opened my eyes to that being a potential, um, I don't know, feeder or, or um, you know, aspect of our business life. And um, I've absolutely loved it. And it, um, you know, at this point, we have a really great group of both event horses and jumpers. And, um, you know, good riding is good riding. And there's something that can be learned from everyone in every discipline. And you just touched on it there for a second. You ride in the jumper, the hunter jumper world, and you do eventing. Why do you like each discipline and what is the difference for you? Yeah, so in growing up, I've, I've ridden through, I won in dressage, uh, I've got a silver medal there. Um, we would probably go to one or two dressages just because our calendar is slammed right now um, per year. Eventing, that's always been the lifeblood of it. I absolutely love cross country, so that's definitely not going anywhere. And um, we've had a development path for horses that um, we've just been successful with and um, very comfortable with. We try to buy a weanling a year that would be primarily bred to jump, but would have enough thoroughbred that could event. And then as they become sort of five or six or so, we then tend to sort of route them to wherever their preference might be. Um, actually, our top jumper right now, Quintessence, he's jumped through um, a CSI four star at this point. He's um, 10 years old, and he actually eventually all the way up through prelim first. Um, and I think the basic training that would be offered, you know, for the for the younger horses, I think the wider the experience, the better they're going to be, regardless what they end up doing in the long term. Um, and then on the jumping side, yeah, I don't know. They, they're 
there's certainly an aspect as you get uh, in the bigger and bigger classes, the margin for error is smaller and smaller, and the skill set that um, that you learn there is directly applicable to eventing. So in many ways, it's actually super similar. It's just a different group of horses, different group of people, um, you know, on, on each weekend that might be. But um, in many ways, like I said, good riding is good riding, and, and the horses, um, wherever their strong suit is, is, we will try to direct them in that way. And sticking to eventing, what's your favorite part of that discipline? Favorite part of eventing for sure is cross country, without a doubt. I mean, that is the the heart and soul of it, isn't it? Um, there's nothing quite like, especially once you've got a horse that you've had for a while and you've got a really good relationship with, um, sort of attacking a horse is, is, um, is a lot of fun. And can you talk some more about the most important or influential horses in your life? like who they are and what they were like and why exactly they were influential for you? Yeah, I guess the first one would be a horse called Running Order that um, he came to us as a four-year-old and he was ended up being my first then four-star, now five-star horse. Um, he We also went uh, to um, to Bookloe in Holland for the Nations Cup there with that horse. He, he certainly exposed me to a whole different level than um, what I had been able to before. I'd ridden advanced before, but never on a, a really legitimately good horse that could be a total player at the, the top end. Unfortunately, um, his owners did uh, sell early. So moving forward from there, a horse called Crown Talisman, um, maybe even touching on running order, he was owned outright and, and then sold. And so from that point forward, we've tried to go into partnership with almost every horse we have here. So nearly all of them we have some ownership stake in so if they did someday you know want to you know an owner wanted to sell or whatever it might be we have the ability if we do have to sell that we can roll that uh those funds back into the next generation and and keep a pipeline coming so running order sale absolutely changed our whole outlook on how we operate um but the next big horse after that was a horse called crown talisman and um he went again from young horse all the way up through um, what would be a current four star. Um, he was uh, sixth at Samir, which is over in France. And then then he was sold and um, we owned half of him. And it was one of those things that he, um, the price was such that we absolutely couldn't say no. And it set a foundation along with a num number of other horses, but um, to establish our my wife Jess and I's life going forward. We were able to buy the farm that we're the property that we're here. Um, it, um, yeah, it, it just changed our whole reality of of how how our life and how our uh, trajectory might go. So that was one of those things that was quite sad, but it opened up so many doors to us. Um, and then from there, now we're we're very very lucky. Um, a horse called Van Diver has been with us for seven years. Um, he has done I've done a number of five stars on him. He was, um, I guess, last time there was a five-star, he was um, fifth place at Kentucky, um, and he just recently won the, the Fork four-star uh, last weekend. He would be certainly our strongest hope for Tokyo. Um, we are lucky enough to have two others qualified right now. Horse called Quantum Leap that we bought as a weanling, and he is now up um, with a huge help of Susan Drillock. Um, Debbie Crowley owns um, Ben Diver as well. Don't want to forget about her. But Susan Drillock has owned uh, Quantum Leap with us for quite some time. He is a 10-year-old. 
and uh, he's he's uh, stepped up to four star. He'll he's going to do his first five star this spring at Kentucky, and um, and then Star Witness would be the other sort of high player right now, and she's owned by Lori McCree, Catherine Winter, and myself. Um, and she was at the Pan Am. She was fourth individually in uh, Team Gold. So that that group is probably the best as far as event horses are most impactful. And then jumping, of course, uh, Quintessence. He's same thing. Bottom or we got him as a four-year-old. Um, Jane Dudinsky owns him with us, and he's now jumped through a four-star CSI. And I would expect he too will will end up five-star um, sometime soon here. Can you talk some about the most important or favorable wins in your life? I'm not so sure it ends up being one particular competition that stands out, but I think the the overarching thing that we have here going is that almost all these horses we've bought as weanlings. And so to see any of them succeed at whatever level they are, that actually is the most fun for me. I mean, so I could get just as excited about um, uh, five-year-old or six-year-old that's winning at a prelim event as I would a you know horse winning a four-star they're I think if they're if they're really truly successful wherever they are in their progression that's actually what excites me more it's it's not so much like I have to win you know Kentucky yeah I would absolutely love to win Kentucky for sure right but it's not my the be-all end-all for sure and of course in this sport things don't always go as planned and you don't you know, often win as much as you might like. How do you handle that? Like, how do you deal with that if you're like disappointed at a show or something like that? Uh, not winning is my primary motivating factor. I think if you go in and make a mistake, it will drive me to work even harder at home to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. And like we always think with the horses in their developmental process, if you make a mistake, in 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 your progression of learning and getting better make a mistake that's no big deal at all but if you make the same mistake twice that would totally kill me but if i'm making different mistakes that is something that you can continue to learn and, and grow and and be better from so it's not you know it wouldn't be something you're gonna pout that you lose it'll just be once in you know something that you're gonna be up even early the next day working even harder to make sure that that doesn't doesn't happen again and do you ever get nervous? And if you do, how do you handle your nerves? Uh, for sure. I think if you're not getting nervous, something's seriously wrong. Um, and I think there's an aspect of that nervous energy that is going to make you sharper and more focused and fine-tuned to allow your performance to be best. I would say early on, I would have had more, I don't know what we'd call it, debilitating nerves. Like you'd, you'd, you'd end up making mistakes because you're nervous. Um, I'm just very, very lucky. We've had a, an absolute ton of horses to be able to go show and compete. And I think the, the biggest thing that helped me along the way, as I was told at some point that, you know, you're at some big stage, wherever it might be, some big competition that, that has seemed meaningful at the time. And if you've had the ability to develop the horse to that point, you're going to be able to do that again and again. And not everybody, you know, you're not going to win every single um time you go out but again every time you do go out if you do make a mistake learn from that make it better and come back again so it's um it was just a, a means for me to remove the in some ways remove the significance of the one particular competition knowing that i intend to be back there over and over indefinitely 
do you have any routines before big competitions like say Kentucky's coming up or even the Olympics if you're thinking about that which I'm um, sure you are <laughs> yeah uh, you know as far as routines not uh, I mean it's kind of just the norm we're in a normal year sort of pre-COVID I think we were showing 45 weeks so it ends up we're just glorified carnies basically we're on the road all the time and um, in some ways I operate best in a slightly chaotic schedule just because there's not a whole lot of time to think about you know one particular performance at one one particular day um so no i think it's just um you know trying to make the most of all the opportunities you have and um and just go with it from there and moving on to training what is your training philosophy i would i would say as far as training with the horses i would try to give them as much time as possible at all times to figure out what's being asked. I would really be tough on somebody if they were putting a ton of pressure for the horse to learn it really quickly or something like that. But I think you can expose them. My goal is to expose them to a number of either exercises or just training tools, whatever it might be, to help show them the best way to utilize their talents. And um, assuming that they're giving it a genuine try I'll give them as much time as as they can. But generally speaking, if you go in a quiet way and they can figure it out, they actually progress um, pretty quickly. And how would you describe your teaching style? It's probably quite similar to the horses. I think it's my job if I'm instructing is try to show the riders how best to listen to their horses and how best to put their horses in a position that they can succeed in whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Do you ever find that there's one thing in particular that students typically need to work on? On the flat, I would say most people don't ask enough as far as having enough energy and, and um, sort of they're, they, they often on the flat tend to ride too conservative, um, almost trying not to make a mistake rather than sort of confidently going all in for it. Um, as far as jumping, I do a whole ton of small, you know, small jumps that would be um, require a lot of sort of agility and sort of footwork exercises, that sort of thing, because I think that there often is going to be a time that you feel as if all of a sudden you're in trouble that, you know, you're in a spot, a tricky situation, the striding isn't right, you know, maybe on a cross country thing, the horse slipped on a turn or whatever it might be. Um, I want to have sort of your get out of jail free that you can sort of slow everything down and the horses will reliably be sharp on their feet and sort of pop off the ground. And I think often people end up on the too long and strung out and um, running side of things that adjustment or the ability to adjust um, is lost. And then that's often where people and horses get in trouble. And when you're riding, do you have a favorite exercise for yourself? And whatever that exercise may be, why do you think it's important? Um, the biggest thing, if you can figure out a way to do it, is get um, a set of mirrors because um, you will have a absolutely free riding lesson every day. Um, that is, has been over the last sort of year and a half, two years, the biggest impact that I've had of late. Um, and it's just one of those things, if you see yourself doing it, you know, whatever bad habit it might be or whatever the perception is, you can be way quicker about fixing it. And I think it's more impactful if you can see it for yourself. So uh, why do you think you have been so successful as a rider? I think the success comes as, as a result of the 
people and horses behind you because it's it's absolutely not an individual pursuit for sure. I'd be the one on the horse in the ring, but um, without a really intelligent and adaptable team behind you that can pick up tiny little nuances or differences or you know horse might not be feeling right one morning or um, there might be a little swelling somewhere or whatever it is if you can pick up all of that stuff early it really then becomes not a big issue at all and i think without the horsepower consistently behind you um, be it again through all of the staff and managers in the barn and um, ownership support and and certainly family support with my wife and now two kids um, without all of that you're you're not going to be anywhere so that's the that is the key have a, have a really good flexible attentive team behind you and what do you think is the hardest part of this sport for you the hardest part of this sport i would hate to say this but i think it's it's the um it's the financial implications of all of it it's um it's super difficult to you know keep all of these horses going at a top level and and our constant pursuit is trying to figure out how to make it all work. We're, we're trying to expand and, um, you know, have the greatest group of horses that we can. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it certainly can be challenging for sure. Cause it's, um, it's not inexpensive and, um, but it's, it's absolutely addicting. And, you know, we, we struggle and our goal is to, to make sure that that happens all times. Is there any piece of advice you would give your younger self? Yeah, I would say early on, I probably was not near as coachable as I should have been. And as I get a bit older, you know, you try to glean any little bit of insight from anybody and make, you know, sort of turn it into your own and, and integrate it. And I would say, in all honesty, I was probably a, a bit too cocky earlier in my life to open my eyes to all that. And what's next for you? Yeah, what's next? Um, <clears throat> yeah, we've got Kentucky in uh, in a couple weeks, and so be really exciting. Ben Divers going back, and he's been there a number of times now. And and like I said, he would be our our top hopeful, I think, for Tokyo. Um, but also, what is going to be really exciting is Quantum Leap will be um, the first. Uh, it'll be his first five star that he's going to. I think he's certainly ready for it. But it's pretty special for us because we've had him now since he was a weanling, and um, and Star Witness will head to Jersey to the 4L um, at Jersey Fresh. And all three of those are qualified for Tokyo. So hopefully for those guys, um, everything goes well. And then looking forward to with the jumpers, we're headed back to Tryon uh, next week and um, a focus on um, the two weeks of Split Rock, the FBI weeks, um, beginning of June. So that's, that's what's headed next for those guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Doug Payne, and a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Vitaflex Pro. Learn more at vitaflex.com. You can subscribe to the Practical Horseman podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Julia Murphy, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman podcast.